You are now tuned in to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alon Danziger, and it's time to get embarrassed with me. Listener, thank you again for being here on Lost and Rewound with me on this edition. Unfortunately, my co-host and partner in audio excursions, Jimmy Hoffman, is unable to make it uh, this week because he is not feeling well. He is deathly ill. So a speedy recovery to him. It's unfortunate that he can't be here for this edition because we've got quite a good episode for you this week. Don't forget, you can donate a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, radiofreebrooklyn.com slash pledge. We are community-based radio that run on the kind contributions of you and everybody who does listen to Radio Free Brooklyn. You can also donate to us specifically at radiofreebrooklyn.com slash L-A-R. So without further ado, let us begin on this journey. Ben Newman is currently a Denver, Colorado-based musician who has, over the past few years, been touring with his band Dive, based out in Brooklyn. He hails from North Carolina. He technically is in Portland, Maine, calling us today, and we welcome him to the show. Hey, Ben. Hey. 
Uh, you're actually. Thank you very much. Oh, you're most welcome. I didn't quite introduce you the way I really should have, but you are here for a very specific reason. In fact, I wanted to just say thank you again for indulging me after all the email correspondences that uh, have occurred over the past eight months, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's it's been in the works for a long time. So the story goes is, is that uh, I, in my infinite curiosity about what's available out there in the world, in the internets, I discovered that there are more weirdos than just myself who are involved in the world of audio cassette tapes. And so I happened upon a podcast that wasn't active but had episodes that had more or less... Um, been still active and able to be listened to on the internet, and it's called the Found Sounds Podcast. Could you explain to me what brought you into doing the Found Sounds Podcast, and how long ago did you start it? Probably in 2012. I've been kind of obsessed with the medium of magnetic tape forever. Just love going to thrift stores, and I would always find these weird, cool tapes and didn't know what to do with them, but just started like kind of collecting them. And then uh, had a four-track recorder laying around and just kind of started messing with, you know, playing tapes backwards and slowing them down and stuff. And then I made this mix. It was like 15 minutes long and really weird. And I really liked it and didn't know what to do with it and just kind of sat on my computer for a while. And then... Um, I kept on making them because it was fun, and I was like, man, I should do something with these. And I felt like a podcast was a good medium because it was, you know, episodic. I could keep making a different one every so often and release them. So I did that. I think I made 21 episodes. Mm. Um, you made 25, I think, or 26. 25? Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. See, I haven't, I haven't worked on it in a while. It's yeah. been probably over a year since I've messed with it. I don't – it's not – you know, a completely dead project. I I like it too much just to let it die. So mm -hmm. I'm probably gonna revive it in some way or another. I you haven't should, yeah. Quite figured that out, but so that's that's kind of how it started. It was just by collecting tapes and then wanting to uh, share them with people. Where exactly are the majority of your finds occurring? Um, I started the podcast when I was living in Vermont, so a lot of them. That kind of explains. A lot of the kind of hippie nature of a lot of the the tapes, but um, you know, North Carolina, kind of all over. Just whenever I would visit a thrift store, there's just always tapes, you know, like weird books on tape and biblical sermons and New Age synthesizer music, and just like this treasure trove. It's just pretty much any Goodwill that you go into, there's going to be a stack of bizarre tapes. So pretty easy to find. Was there one tape of anything at all that really got you really interested in seeing, well, if this one is weird, what other weird ones could I find? Hmm. Well, there's a couple. I, there's so many. But I think one was meditations on, like, healing yourself from cancer, basically, like, using the power of positive thoughts. And then um, there's one Canadian New Age band called, uh, man, I can't remember their name. It was called like Ya King or something like that. Mm -hmm. Super soothing uh, mix of like nature sounds and like, you know, reverbed out guitar and stuff it's from like the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I just really liked it. I would like, you know, 
listen to it if I was stressed out just to like calm me down and stuff. And I found that if you kind of combine the soothing music with these like meditations, it's can really kind of transport you. And that's always what I've been interested in about music is the, the power for it to kind of take you elsewhere. You've been uh, involved in music for probably your whole life then. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. You're a drummer. When did you start playing the drums? My brother got a drum set when I was nine years old, but my dad is a musician too. And so there's always guitars around and stuff. So I really just my whole life I've been messing around with music. Did you record yourself a lot playing music when you were younger? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, me and my friends would get together and hang out in my garage and just like put a, a boom box on and press record. And, you know, I don't, it probably sounded like total garbage, but it's, it's really fun. And, and that's no, such an no, accessible... definitely not garbage. It may, have, <laughs> it may have been recorded like garbage, but the music itself was brilliant. <laughs> well, maybe. Because you can brilliant is maybe a strong word <laughs> my my experience with boom boxes is that the mics suck regardless mm-hmm. if you want to truly get re- well recorded audio then you have to have an external mic no matter what but yeah you make do with what you got oh yeah for sure i mean that's one big thing about the podcast was like kind of giving myself these artificial um boundaries not to cross like you know i never used any effects or anything like that it was all just like actual tape manipulation and i think i got my first four track when i was 12 or 13 and Hmm. just recording stuff and then discovering that if you flip the tape over you can play it backwards was like a major a major discovery in my life the power of meditation the power of sort of like a hypnosis these are themes that i after at least my own you know uncovering of the found sounds uh, archive seems to be a very very common theme I'm not certain that the clip that I have coming up is exactly that. Um, And I think that's a good thing just because for the spontaneity of it, who knows what it'll come up. But (laughs) coming back to what you were saying before about how putting together meditation chants over the very soothing music, if you had a way to do this, would you probably make your own self-help sort of meditation tapes? (laughs) (laughs) Is it something that interests you as not just as a producer, but someone who can take it in? I don't know about making one myself um <laughs> i would definitely be interested in maybe helping someone make one because some of the meditation stuff is cool and helpful but some of it's like kind of just weird and funny and so it's like this weird line of trying not to make fun of it but also acknowledging kind of the hokiness of it you know let's take a listen to one of these clips and we'll, we'll have a little discussion about it when we come back For a moment, imagine that you are that higher power, that power of pure loving. Imagine that, that you are that higher power of pure loving. You see yourself now through the eyes of love itself. You are in the very heart and mind of love. You can see yourself completely. You can see all of you as you are, you, yourself. You can see qualities about yourself that you never realized before. 
you listen and you can hear loving comments that this power of love says it whispers to you something like you are a very important and deserving person you are human there is beauty within your humanness of course you make mistakes you're supposed to you work hard you do the best that you can I love you yourself I love you just as you are you see and hear all that this higher power loves and cherishes about you you hold on to those aspects of yourself especially those qualities that you were unaware of slowly come back to your own body now be totally you totally you go of your fingers and wrists feel all the love and value that is you thank your higher power and walk out of the field of light now to a favorite place go to a favorite place now and feel yourself part of the universe Feel yourself as a necessary part of nature. You are supposed to be here. From now on, any time in the future, when you feel nervous, anxious, during a situation, or after something has happened, when you feel nervous, anxious, that's your cue stop and to listen to your inner voice and what it is saying to you and when you hear those thoughts that are critical and cruel you say to yourself no stop that so right <laughs> hypnosis <laughs> and field recordings in sort of a combined um, masterpiece, if you will. I mean, it's very gorgeous, but also extremely creepy. Yeah, it's definitely got some creepiness. Do you remember where you got that tape of the hypnosis? I believe um, there was a, a place called The Restore in Burlington, Vermont, um, that was honestly just a, a treasure chest that was constantly full of New Age tapes. There's something really amazing about the power of hypnosis when, especially when you're like putting it against like barnyard animals, like it's like, <laughs> it's telling you basically to relax and you're okay. And you are in an ethereal state. Don't worry about the mosquitoes. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the rooster crowing. You are here with me. <laughs> it's crazy, man. With respect to the clips of which we'll be playing it, there's certainly a contrast in the content, but in terms of the theme, 
there really is something to say about the mashing up, if you will, and creating two entirely separate pieces that complement each other and almost sound like they could very much be a part of the same tape. Yeah. When, when you have like a new episode that you're making, obviously over the years, and you started this in, two, in 2012, so you over a two-year period or a three-year period were making new episodes. Yeah. Obviously, you had this trove of tapes. What inspired you to do one thing before the other? Was there like just like you needed to find the right time? You needed to find the right backtrack, the right front track, etc.? As really mostly kind of improvised, a lot of it kind of came together by itself where it was like, I don't know, just in the moment being like, oh, this would sound cool if I put this weird synthesizer thing behind it or, or you know, barnyard animals or whatever. Yeah. Oh, th- here's a, a concept or an idea and also just like how weird can I make this? Is weird the best for you or is it something that is aesthetically uh, consonant, if you will, as opposed to dissonant? Yeah, at the time, I think I was more interested in just experimental music and kind of like droning minimalism and stuff like that so there was a sort of an aspect of just like weird for the sake of weird but i did also want there to be some kind of continuity and uh you know i didn't want it to just be like dumb so just kind of a a balance and a lot of it's just you know getting stoned in front of a four track and seeing what happens when did you start getting stoned oh gosh (laughs) um i guess maybe when i was 15 or something like that and you already were knee deep in this four track and seeing what could come up when you're you know in your most baked state when did you start collecting these tapes again exactly were you collecting a lot of these tapes that you found even before you got to college yeah i mean some of my earliest memories are uh, my grandmother got me this fisher price record player mm-hmm. and i had uh, the world of the worlds record and i just loved listening to that you know and i think that just stuck with me so i i had a bunch of books on tape and stuff like that and never really thought about you know making art or whatever out of them i also you know ran a record label that only put out tapes in 2009 maybe 2009 to 2011 something like that was that while you were still in vermont or where were you based Uh, that was when i was in new york oh okay uh, it was called Healing Light Records. Cool. You know, it was a lot of just kind of weird music. Hey, and no, it's it, say no more. It's the analog lifestyle. So we're yeah. all we're all misfits with that kind of uh, yeah. Um, so so it's world. A long time. It's been it's been with me for a long time. That folded though. That you're not uh, doing that anymore, or has that been brought upon with uh, some other people uh, holding it down there? No, it's more or less dead. We kind of sold out of most of the tapes and never really bothered to repress any of them we it started out uh, me and my friend basically just wanted to put out our own music and mm-hmm. then started putting out our friend's music and then yeah i was gonna started... say like who else was on the label with y'all let's see uh my friend's band called caged animals uh, brooklyn-based band we put out their first tape we did um one called the source of faunation which is a kind of electronic band from san francisco at the time a bunch of stuff that not many people have probably heard of. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you're, you're also, you know, putting stuff out on tapes, so yeah, it, it, <laughs> exactly. it cannot get more enigmatic. But at the same time, you certainly had enough pull to be able to connect with bands that were across the country. You being a musician, you've definitely played with bands from all over. But um, how did that connection occur where you were able to have bands commit to being a part of your roster? 
Uh, a lot of it was friends, you know, and then friends of friends and people. I, I guess there was one or two that uh, just kind of randomly reached out to us and were like, this is cool. Like, what do you think about my music? And I was like, well, let's do it, you know. And it wasn't – it was never a money-making thing. So it was just like you pay for half, we'll pay for half, and, you know, we'll – it was a labor of love, I guess. Was anybody in your circle, or the inner circle, I should say, interested in doing this project with you? Did you have anybody who shared the same kind of love for creating these sound collages? Maybe, but I just kind of did it in my own bedroom and never really involved anyone else in it. It would also probably be kind of difficult to collaborate on. Each tape is such a specific thing but i also would collaborate with people live and that was more kind of synthesizer guitar and then some tape stuff i used to make tape loops too um you know with just like scotch tape and stuff but that's incredibly labor intensive (laughs) for very little uh yeah no i've i've actually been to there's a guy named uh wesley marcarelli who uh um, works with a few labels out here in brooklyn and he was djing in Brooklyn with uh, another guy, Gay Brains. Uh, the two of them were DJing with tapes, and I thought that was oh, cool. so cool. Like, I was just, I was really intrigued at how you could do that in a yeah. way that is, I don't know, dare I say, seamless. It's not really, <laughs> you don't really look at uh, analog and seamless in the same sentence, but they made it. It really yeah. worked out. Like, you know, you hey, get. If you got a, a volume fader, you can. You can work wonders. Exactly. Let's take a quick listen to an, one of the beginnings of uh, episode 20, it is. And okay. uh, again, not really sure what's, go- what's going on here, but I'm excited <laughs> to hear it. Hello. Welcome to Farmyard Stories for Under Fives from Ladybird. All of these stories and rhymes are read especially for you. Listen to the story and read along at the same time. I'm sure you will enjoy it. When you hear this sound... can turn the page. Power is the common ingredient within the human experience, and more so, it is the common ingredient in health, and certainly in the loss of health. More than anything else, what I've learned in my work as a medical intuitive is that what I'm actually reading in your system is whether or not you have an empowerment schedule inside of you. Schedule means a timing, your past, your background whether or not you have a sense of empowerment in you at all. And if not, where did your power go? Is it in your past? Is it in your childhood? Is it in your attitudes? Something has taken your power. So when I do a reading in the area of medical intuition, that's exactly what I'm reading. What is a medical intuitive anyway? I mean, actually, it's not a profession. You're going to find that often. I'd like to give you a reference point so that you know what I do behind closed doors with this occupation. I find it as strange as everybody else does, by the way. 
I developed the skill of medical intuition in 1982, and it sort of happened spontaneously. It wasn't something that I studied. Nobody can study this, at least not back then, maybe in the future, but certainly not then. I love how it just like drifts off. <laughs> yeah. The woman just sort of like drifts off talking about medical intuitiveness and and the mosquitoes just start coming out of nowhere again. And again, uh, blending and the layering, it's really quite remarkable. Um what was that? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's like a, I'm going to say that a lot. I'm going to say this a lot, but it, again, I have to ask the right the right person. I have no idea. I there was some, you know, some medical intuitive <laughs> right right i mean it started it started off beautifully in the whole like style that i totally remember when i was a kid with the disney you know stories on tape when yeah you hear the sound bling turn the page <laughs> that's that's classic stuff right there and then yeah it just went in perfectly into seamlessly into a sort of like a self-help i guess it was a self-help i don't know it's like a TED, yeah. it's like a like what ted talks are now but on audio tape for yeah. private listening back then. I think that one was a live one, like in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of them, I just couldn't imagine. Like the first one that you played, I just imagined someone sitting in front of a tape recorder just kind of rambling, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. How did, how did people make their livings just making these weird... I mean, there's <laughs> and there's famous ones too, because through doing these, I kind of discovered this whole world of... I don't even know what you call them. I, f- I feel like calling them scam artists is too harsh. Just people that made their living by rambling on tape about, you know, spirituality and health and and how to make yourself happy just by listening to this at night or whatever. Some of them were probably into being scam artists, but not yeah. all of them. Yeah. Some I mean, some, some were more reputable were than the others. Sorry? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a lot of them were, were genuine and, and maybe just uh, kind of deluded, but... There's no shame. Like, <laughs> I think uh, a lot of it's pretty cool. It's just just weird, you know? It's strange. I, I have to ask, is there any chance that you may remember from your childhood your parents ever listening to stuff like this? Well, I – my parents were uh, very Christian, southern North Carolina, you know? So it was more kind of sermons and stuff like that, not the New Age stuff. I don't think they would be too – into so yes and no but not definitely not the kind of more new agey hippie stuff were they supportive of uh, their son being a musician or did they ever really like sort of turn a blind eye because they weren't really sure how to process the kind of uh sounds and music that you're working with i think now because i've had kind of moderate success with it they're proud i went the way i did i think when i was younger you know they just wanted me to to have a regular job and that kind of thing. I mean, which I, you know, I've had a million jobs, but uh, wanted me to, I guess, pursue a more traditional path. But, uh, but yeah, they're they're super supportive and very sweet, wonderful people. So, did they ever give you a support tape to listen to? <laughs> uh, My dad no, did. But... That's why I ask. Oh, really? <laughs> oh no! But you tell me your story first, though. I don't know what what story I was even going to say. I think. I mean, I do remember sitting in my living room with my whole family, like listening to like a sermon on tape and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know if they were that aware of when I was making the podcast. 
that kind of stuff. I was in, I think I was going into my second year of college and I was forced to listen to CDs at any rate, but a, uh-huh. a six CD self-help album of like not self-help per se it was how to be successful in business and relationships oh yeah uh-huh <laughs> and so my father was very fervent in me doing this like to the point where i was basically grounded and sent to my room which is a thing that you do with a kid who's in college but whatever and anyway <laughs> the outcome was was that i in a sort of a state of rebellion drove my car to the border of canada and drove back and managed to successfully listen to the entirety of this album, this um, compilation, if you will, going to the border of Canada and then back. And when I got to the border, the the border patrol was like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> and I just told them, I was like, look, I really don't want to go into your country. I honestly, I just wanted to drive to the border. They still searched the car anyway. They're like, are you sure? Like, they were like really, really concerned. <laughs> How much money are you, are you holding on you? I'm like, I, guys, look, <laughs> it, it wasn't a big deal uh, with them, but it was a big deal to my dad when I got back at, oh, I don't know, about 8 a.m. because I went in the middle of the night. <laughs> and he looked at me with such disgust and he was like he just he was mad that I would have done something like that as a way to just sort of spite him so that was my act of rebellion but at the at any rate that's also my only real true anecdote that involves uh, any sort of motivational audio <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted I wanted to come back though uh, to the religion because um, you know with all the different episodes that you've put out, there is a very clear vein that has run through all of these that talk about spirituality and religion. Um, something that in former iterations of the Lost and Rewound program, we have talked about a whole idea of religion that you're, when you're growing up and how it impresses upon you. I found this particular clip really fascinating. I want to play it for you and see if it'll jog some memories for you. Cool. God's provision. Give us our daily bread. What'd you get for Christmas this year? Oh, I got a bread maker. Oh, it's a really nice one, too. Oh, does it make good bread? I don't know. I I haven't used it yet. Oh. Well, it's just easier to buy bread at the store. Unfortunately, that's what many Christians do when it comes to prayer. Instead of going to God, they go someplace else for their basic needs of life. That seems easier. Adlai Stevenson once remarked, understanding human needs is half the job of meeting them, but perhaps the other half is the ability to meet them. And God scores on both counts. Because God understands our needs and can truly meet them, Jesus said that we're to pray to the Father about them. And then after praying about what is cosmic and eternal, we're to pray about what is temporal. When Jesus taught us to pray, He gave us a comprehensive blueprint to follow. And the first three requests deal with God, with God's glory, with God's person, with God's uh, program. The last three requests deal with the family. While the petitions to the Father talk about your name, your kingdom, your will, the last three requests have to do with us. Give us. Forgive us. Lead us. And when Jesus said, you are to pray, give us today our daily bread, he wasn't suggesting a trip to the supermarket for a loaf of Wonder Bread. 
He was making the point that it's uh, right to pray for our daily needs. After all, we can't really serve his kingdom and do his will unless we have the strength that we need for today. So it's perfectly proper to ask God for a job in order to have money for food. It's appropriate to appeal to God for the clothes we need to work on the job in order to have the food. It's certainly within the scope of God's will to ask for transportation to get us to the job so that we can earn the bread. God knows our needs. He's concerned about them. Well, that's like Jerry Stiller and Muzak, basically. <laughs> and I don't know when Jerry Stiller started doing like Christian teachings, but uh, that was that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, this guy's not Christian, and he's telling me the word of God. I don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah, there's a creepiness to it, especially the the first part with the kids talking. It's mm-hmm. just hilarious to me. It's like the ultimate cheesiness, you know, like just bad voice acting and. Like, what are they even talking about? Is there something about the ingenuity of the earnestness of of these sort of tapes that appeals to you where, you know, it would translate to somebody else as sort of hokey, but you're hearing through it and realizing that the underlying intent is something completely different than the way it would probably be perceived by anybody who has a mind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of just spotlighting the bizarreness of something that if you're kind of in that scene would probably seem really normal but mm-hmm. is definitely not normal <laughs> what um is your relationship with religion now i think a lot of religions are interesting maybe some are useful but i don't particularly uh subscribe to to any one of them mm-hmm. uh i think uh, a lot of Kind of Eastern religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, are super interesting, probably just because I wasn't raised with them. But, you know, the the Bhagavad Gita and, and the Tao Te Ching are super interesting texts, you know. And I think there's some some good stuff in there. You just can't – I feel like if you kind of base your whole life on any of that, you're going you're gonna to end up in some – weird zones you're reminding me that there's a a similar clip of uh, sort of the spiritual nature of uh, what a lot of these clips tend to sort of veer towards sat down to think about it. There was a tall bluff a little way from the camp, and it had two points on it. So I went over there and climbed to one of the tops, where there were some big rocks scattered around. I laid down in those rocks and looked all around, but I could see nothing, and I began to wonder if I was only funny in thinking I had heard a voice. Then I looked over to the other point of the bluff, not far away, and there were two men calling up toward the top on their bellies. I knew they were enemies, and I thought they were crows. But later I learned that they were blackfeet. I lay as flat as I could and peeped around a rock at the two men. They were so near that I could have thrown a rock over there, and I thought 
If I only had my gun, I could kill them both. They peeped over at our teepees in the valley. I could hear them talking now, and I knew they were planning how to attack us. After a little while, they crawled down backwards a short way, then got up and ran downhill and disappeared. When they were gone, I sat down and thought of my vision and began to pray to the spirits. I said, Grandfathers, something may happen to me, but I will depend on the power you have given me. Hear me and help me. Then I ran over to our teepees and told the people we must flee at once because I have seen enemies planning to attack. We were so small a party that we did not dare wait to take our teepees down, so we started right away and traveled very fast. As we fled east, a thundercloud came from the west behind us, and I knew it was coming to protect us. I could hear the thunder beings crying, Hey, hey! The cloud stood over us and did not rain much, but it was full of lightning and of voices. We had not gone so very far, and it was growing dark when we heard shooting behind us in the direction of our deserted camp, and we thought the enemies were shooting into the teepees, thinking that we might be in there yet. I know better than ever now that I really had power, for I had prayed for help from the grandfathers, and they had heard me, and sent the thunder beings to hide us and watch over us while we fled. Then we went to the soldier's town at the mouth of Tongue River and camped there with others of our people who had wandered away from the reservations into our old country. The soldiers took our guns away from us and most of our horses, leaving us only two horses for every teepee. There in the moon of making fat, we had a sun dance, and after this it seemed I could think of nothing but my vision. Super chilling. <laughs> was that intent was to just sort of completely make everybody go like their skin crawl just with realizing how dirty they felt that they're standing on sacred ground pretty much at any <laughs> one time? <laughs> Well, I don't want anyone to feel guilty, but sure. Uh, no, no. I mean uh, these these sounds are not meant to create uh, a negative feeling, but they are supposed to invoke, you know, certainly for sure. Yeah, of passion. I like I like the heaviness, you know the the kind of I don't know, just the the slow kind of sad power. One thing that I kind of unfortunately found out through doing these is you know i thought man all this stuff is so weird and obscure but i guess that's from a, a book called black elk speaks and i think in the 60s or some whenever it came out was like a super famous book i feel like mm -hmm. it's probably good that uh podcast never got too big i probably would have gotten in some some copyright trouble <laughs> so about that because uh obviously we can't get around to everything we'll maybe have time for maybe one more clip if anything but um ultimately a lot of what you have on here is obscure there is certainly um plenty of exceptions to that rule uh, yeah i definitely caught a sesame street clip of bert and ernie <laughs> having a conversation oh, yeah, yeah. uh you know being like hey bert are you my friend? You're my friend, right? Uh, of course, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm your friend. And then there was a Richard Simmons dancing song, which is 
amazing. <laughs> I totally, like, when I realized it was Richard Simmons, I was like, oh, man, he's the man for putting this on here. There were a number of sounds that would be definitely traceable to the common ear, but you obviously didn't care to worry about that. Well, I always tried to alter it in some way, especially when I knew it was kind of in that territory. Mm-hmm. Because whatever the uh, the law is called, I can't remember what it's called. Um, not Creative Commons, but it, basically you're allowed to sample and and kind of remix stuff as long as you alter it. You know, if it, so none of it is just like a straight. You know, I'm just like stealing the audio and putting it up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so I felt like if I ever got in any kind of trouble, I could uh, I could pull that card because I. I I went out of my way to make sure I always kind of slowed it down or sped it up or put something in the background of it or whatever. Yeah, you know, you want to make, obviously, your own art. It's not necessarily the intent on your own end to be just putting something right there that's completely traceable and very alike its original source. Yeah. When you're making this kind of project, the whole nature of it is, is that it has some differentiation from the original product. Would yeah. you say that if you were just given like five tapes, it didn't matter what they were, because the way that all the shows, all the episodes seem to go, there's a certain succession. Like you clearly like to start with something of like an introductory, and then you, right. and then the the and, and then really anything goes in terms of the middle. But at the end, I've noticed a lot of these episodes tend to sort of end with music. So mm-hmm. you you sort of have uh, a lot of the vocal based, and then you end it off with some very like ethereal sort of nice soundscape, if you will. If yeah. you had five tapes that were ultimately of the easy listening, more or less, to put it into a more commonplace word. Yeah, and then you had the self help. And then you had, or like hypnosis, and you maybe had a little religion, a little spirituality, and then you had children's books, uh, like a children's story. You have all these five genres of which are have permeated as you know the main themes in the Found Sounds podcast. What would you say would be the way that you would like have like a like a sort of pattern that developed over time? I think you got it right. I liked the introduction in the beginning because a lot of tapes have these weird kind of introductions where they're like, you know, like, this is tape number 5C3, you know, and then they say whatever. I always thought that was interesting and it makes sense to put that at the beginning. But um, as you can probably attest to from your listening to your self-help CDs while driving to Canada, (laughs) after a while it kind of puts you in a zone, you know, if you listen to anything for six hours in a row, you're going to kind of space out a little bit. And, uh, so I really liked kind of starting it with something that's, you're supposed to kind of actively listen to. And then it sort of just fades into like daydreaming, you know, let us listen to an introduction to one of the episodes. This one is to episode 15, which we heard a clip of before. And then, um, I believe that you will be correct about this one. Okay. All roads are now bent. Thus in after days, what by the voyages of ships, what by lord and starcraft, the kings of men knew that the world was indeed made round. And yet the Eldar were permitted still to depart and to come to the ancient west, and to Avalone if they would. Therefore, the lawmasters of men said that a straight road must still be for those that were permitted to find it. And they taught that 
While the new world fell away, the old road and the path of the memory of the West still went on, as it were, a mighty bridge invisible that passed through the air of breath and of flight, which were bent now as the world was bent, and traversed Ilmen, which flesh unaided cannot endure, until it came to Tol Eresea, the lonely isle, and maybe even beyond to Valinor, where the Valar still dwell and watch the unfolding of the story of the world. And tales and rumors arose along the shores of the sea concerning mariners and men forlorn upon the water who, by some fate or grace or favor of the Valar, had entered in upon the straight way and seen the face of the world sink below them and so had come to the lamplit keys of Avalone, or verily, to the last beaches on the margin of Ammon, and there had looked upon the white mountain, dreadful and beautiful, before they died. You will hear stories from six parents sharing experiences from their own childhood, as well as talking about the challenges they face in raising children. We hope that these stories will help you remember your own stories. While we focus mainly on stories that deal with cultural identity and racial prejudice, other aspects of identity and prejudice, such as gender or class or disabilities or sexual orientation, have the same underlying dynamics. So while you may not find the specific issue relevant to your family, the underlying issues will be relevant. Now let's begin with our first story. It was like brainwashing, he was saying as he lit the first in an unbroken chain of cigarettes. I'd give just about anything to go to a hypnotist to black out my whole past because it's torture. There's a real interesting uh, way that you allow the sort of the vibe to completely go up and down and up and down. Normally, uh, it's very consistent in that uh, the, the same sort of vibe is kept all throughout with very little interruption, but that, like, totally brings you out of it when you hear a freaking, like, kid version of, I don't even know if you just, like, sped it up, of Mr. Postman, but it's crazy. It was ridiculous. Mr. Sandman. Sorry, like I said, (laughs) Mr. Sandman. I got so excited that I totally screwed up the name of a very famous standard. At any rate, the Mr. Sandman, that was insane. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think the name of the tape was The Magic Organ or something like that, where it's like, you know, I don't know, 1950s technology where they're like, look, it's electronic. On a four-track, there's two different speeds that you can record on. And I think that was both sped up and slowed down. So that is something that I really enjoy doing is kind of putting something really heavy next to something really like game silly. Of, yeah, something like a Game of Thrones type of thing that was going yeah, on. Yeah, it was a... The Lords of uh, Avalon. J.R.R. Tolkien novel. I can't remember the name of, but... That was, yeah, that was, that was J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. As I have professed on previous episodes of this show, I did not really get down with a lot of fantasy novels growing up, so uh, unfortunately I feel rather naked in that I am the only one here who may be able to provide some expertise and I cannot because I am dumb. Um, but that said, no, I'm not a, not a, not deep into that world either. You weren't very literary to the point of uh, reading that kind of uh, fair growing up, but you would have been a lot more interested in listening to it on tape. Probably. Yeah, for sure. Feel the air touching the skin. When you're ready, wiggling your fingers and your toes. And as it feels right for you, beginning now to stretch. Draw yourself back fully. Preparing to return to dynamic and loving action. That's the bunch that killed Joe Hill, comes the cry. Not to mention their monkey business with Howard Hughes and his will. And what about their stand on the blacks and the Indians? Personally, I think we should have it where we did the year the doormen were on strike. We should rent the Union Hall in Brooklyn. But who listens to me? So right off the bat, there's Pinkstaff working up a petition and Weiss organizing a counter committee. Always with the factions and splinter groups, those two. Whatever drove the man to split the atom is the engine that rules their lives. <laughs> Not divide and conquer, but divide and subdivide. <laughs> First thing in the lobby, we got Weiss passing a handout on Brigham Young and the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Leo Gold, I thought you were dead. It's a matter of days. <laughs> you never learned to spell, Weiss. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. 
But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Chapter 22 And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not good. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou into there not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Considering the ground that we covered for this edition of Lost and Rewound with the Found Sounds podcast uh, archives, I think we've gotten uh, our fair share. And uh, Ben, I think the question on everyone's mind that's listening to this, the one person who's listening, because there's one (laughs) listener, there's always one listener, uh, how do you go about listening to this online like I did? So if you search Found Sounds podcast with Found Sounds being one word, not two, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, If you go to archive.org, and then search that, you'll find um, all of it. The originally found soundspodcast.wordpress.com uh, is still up, and that'll take you everywhere you need to go. Um, the only social media that I mess with is Instagram, which my Instagram handle is Universal Order. If people want to uh, check me out, you can. I've got a lot of projects in the works, nothing really. Uh, happening right now because i've been just playing with the band so much dive um, is the name of the band d-i-i-v-e yeah that's right uh no e just d-i-i-v d-i-i-v and you've been uh with that band drumming for quite some time yes uh yeah i've been involved with them for a long time i've been playing with them full time for uh about a year and a half maybe two years and they've got a website that they that uh anybody can check out oh yeah sure that's it's uh very very accessible if you just google it and um, your Instagram again is Universal. Oh. Universal Order. How did you get that name? Um, how, how did you get from... that name? Come on. <laughs> There's um, this band called Pygmy Lush, and they have a song called Universal Order at Zero Miles Per Hour. I really like that title, so I just kind of yoinked it. Sweet. One last question. Do we yep. have permission to uh, put up maybe a link to the entire archive on our website, perhaps? Yeah, if that makes absolutely. it easiest. <gasps> well, yeah, then, well, then that's going to be done so that when you, the listener, hears this, you will see it and it will be available for anybody to poke around in. There's a lot there. Six hours worth for you to go to oh, Canada yeah. and back. <laughs> and you will, you will go crazy if you listen to all of it. <laughs>
everything. I guarantee. <laughs> ben Newman here on Lost and Rewound. Thanks so much, my friend. I really Thank appreciate you. you taking the time to be with us. Don't forget, if you have any submissions you have out there in Radio Free Brooklyn land, hit us up at lostandrewound at gmail.com. Thank you again, Ben. And to all the listeners out there, have a great rest of your week. This is Alon Danziger on Radio Free Brooklyn for Lost and Rewound. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale is about to explain positive imaging, the powerful way to change your life. In this recording, you will discover the power available to you through positive imaging. Positive imaging consists of vividly picturing in your mind a desired goal or objective and holding that image until it sinks into your subconscious where it releases great untapped energies. Through positive imaging, you will learn how to solve your money problems, outwit worry, banish loneliness, tension, improve your marriage, health, deepen your faith, and relate to others more successfully. In addition to serving as pastor of New York City's Marble Collegiate Church, he is a prominent lecturer, radio host, and editor and co-publisher of Guidepost Magazine. And now, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Some of us have maybe a thinner, more transparent shell than others. So maybe we're somewhat in touch with some kind of authenticity, some kind of spiritual quality. But average individual is usually opaque shell. The self is opaque and not transparent to the inner beauty, to the inner richness, except maybe in glimpses. It takes a tremendous dedication a tremendous perseverance, a tremendous sincerity and love for reality, love for authenticity, to stay with this manifestation, recognizing ourselves as being fake and unreal and not trying to change it, not trying to make it real. I gotta pretend that I'm with somebody else here, but I'm not. It's just me in the studio this time. So I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of Robin Williams-isms on you. Uh, R.I.P. to the master of Robin Williams-isms. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go him. I'm going to go this. I'm going to go that. Never mind. <laughs>